Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Welcome listeners and thanks for stopping by. I'm glad you could join me for this new episode where we look into the sightings of a truly bizarre cryptid creature. But before we get started, how's this for a milestone? We are celebrating today an entire year of the Paranormal Factor podcast. The podcast has been putting out episodes every week for a year now, and I'm so very grateful for your patronage and faithful listening. After one year, we have over 4,100 total plays of our episodes. We're listened to in 43 countries, and we're in the top 50% of all podcasts with an average of over 40 total listens per episode and over 78 listens per week. More importantly, we regularly hit the key benchmark of 29 listens or more in the first seven days of every episode released. And your top three episodes? Well, they remain Dark Mermaid Encounters, followed by The Socorro Incident, and La Llorona. And the Paranormal Factor Podcast Facebook page has also been doing very well with over 800 followers. They all know it's the best place to find monsters, quizzes with answers given during the next episode, film, TV, and book recommendations, and current paranormal news stories from around the world. Once again, thank you for making the Paranormal Factor podcast a success. I do it for you, and I couldn't do it without you. Now, on to our episode. Imagine the scene. You're driving down a dark, rural road in the middle of the night. The bushes and trees on both sides of the road seem to close in on you. They cast large, disturbing shadows that are only penetrated by your car's headlight beams. Your imagination is starting to run away with you just a bit. After all, anything could be in those woods. Maybe red eyes staring from the bushes, shadowy figures between the trees, even a feeling like you're being watched. Sure, those are all natural inclinations. They're understandable reactions to the spooky atmosphere you find yourself in. But what happens when your overactive imagination isn't enough to explain away the horrifying creature that now appears from the darkness, illuminated by your headlights? How will you react when faced with the paranormal? When your mind reels from the reality of what you're seeing? When you're confronted by the unknown? Over the course of two days in April 1977, in three separate incidents, four teenagers in the Massachusetts town of Dover witnessed a disturbing, strange creature. But before they could find an explanation as to what this creature was, this thing, this Dover demon, well, just disappeared. The Dover demon, a small humanoid creature, was the subject of an intense scare during the 1970s, when multiple witnesses came forward with their sightings. And what they saw was astonishing. The Dover Demon is an alleged cryptozoological creature that was sighted on three separate occasions in the town of Dover, Massachusetts, on April the 21st and April the 22nd, 1977. It has remained a subject of interest for cryptozoologists 
ever since. The town of Dover is a relatively quiet and peaceful community, but for one week in 1977, a rash of unusual creature sightings sent the local area into a flurry of confusion, fright, and curiosity. Was there a demon in their midst? Often traveling on all fours, it had eyes that glowed, and it roamed the Dover area, appearing suddenly. By all accounts, it's a weird and frightening creature to behold. Cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman was the initial investigator and the individual who named the creature the Dover Demon. It was disseminated by the press, and the name stuck. Coleman quickly assembled and brought into the investigation three other researchers, Joseph Nyman, Ed Fogg, and Walter Webb. These seasoned investigators with good interviewing skills did a comprehensive examination of the eyewitnesses and their families, as well as law enforcement, educational, and community members. The following are the three reported sightings. The Bartlett Sighting Bill Bartlett, then 17 years old, was the first person to see the Dover Demon. As he and two friends, Mike Mazzacco and Andy Brody, drove along local Farm Street just past 10 p.m., Bartlett witnessed a bizarre creature standing on a wall, its eyes glowing in the headlights. Bartlett knew immediately it was not a dog or a cat, though that was his first impression. It had no tail and had a weird-shaped head. Its body was thin, with long, spindly arms and legs. The watermelon-shaped head had illuminated orange eyes like glass marbles. The fingers resembled tendrils as they grasped the broken wall. It began to move across the top stones of the wall. Bartlett noted the creature was hairless and had rough, flesh-toned skin, described as tan and sandpaper-like. The creature's appearance was very plain, with no nose, ears, or mouth being seen. Bartlett said the car was traveling maybe 35 to 40 miles per hour when he saw the creature in the headlights. He said he saw it from about 10 feet away, over the duration it took the car to travel from one utility pole to the next. His two friends did not report seeing the creature. Bartlett saw it for only a few moments before passing it. When he turned around, it was gone. He grew up around animals and had seen the odd mangy fox, Bartlett said. This definitely wasn't. It was some kind of creature with long thin fingers and more human-like in its form than animal, he said. Its shape reminded him of kids with distended bellies, he said. I've always tried to guess what it was. I, I never had any idea. This was no prank, Bartlett said. I wasn't trying to be funny. People who know me know I didn't make this up. Bartlett's later drawing portray its head as having a skull shape, forming the contour of a circle on top with a more elliptical ending projecting down to include where the nose and mouth would be. The Baxter Sighting Two hours after Bartlett's sighting, around midnight, 15-year-old John Baxter left his girlfriend Kathy Cronin's house at the south end of Miller High Road. Then Baxter started walking up the street on his way home. Half an hour later, after he walked about a mile, he observed someone approaching him. Because the figure was short, Baxter assumed it was an acquaintance of his who lived on the street. He called out and got no response. Baxter and the figure continued to approach each other until finally the figure stopped. Baxter then stopped as well and asked, Who is that? The sky was dark and overcast and he could only see a shadowy form. Trying to get a better look, Baxter took one step forward 
and the figure scurried off to the left, running down a shallow wooded gully and up the opposite bank. As the figure ran, Baxter heard its footsteps on the dry leaves. He followed the figure down the slope, then stopped and looked across the gully. There he saw the creature, standing in silhouette, about thirty feet away, its feet molded around the top of a rock several feet from a tree. The creature's body reminded Baxter of a monkey's, except for its dark figure-eight-shaped head. Its eyes, two lighter spots in the middle of the head, were looking straight at Baxter, who after a few minutes began to feel uneasy. Realizing he had never seen such a creature before and fearing what it might do next, he backed carefully up the slope, his heart pounding. He then walked very fast down the road to the intersection at Farm Street. There, a couple passing in a car stopped for the teenager. Noting he was visibly shaken, they got him into the car and drove him home. The Bramham Trainer Sighting The next night, Abby Bramham, 15, and Will Traitner, 18, claimed to have seen a similar-looking creature from Traitner's car on the side of the road. Her time of witness was also around midnight. She said that the creature had lifted itself off the ground and stood partially upright, looking at her. Brabham's description matched Bartlett's and Baxter's descriptions. Except this time the cryptid had illuminated green eyes. She estimated its height as about the size of a goat. Investigators attempted to shake up Brabham by noting she said it had green eyes reflected by car headlights, while Bartlett mentioned orange eyes were reflected back to him, but she was steadfast in her description. Well, as you might guess, local speculation ran wild. The Dover demon was said to become invisible or translucent in the night. By day, it hid deep in the forests of Dover, Massachusetts. Others claimed the creature made a blood-curdling noise, similar to a hawk's screech combined with a snake's hiss. Locals began saying it prowled in the trees and waited to scare its next victim, ratcheting up the fear factor. By this time, the story had attracted national attention. Many people wrote the whole thing off as a coordinated hoax, but there was no indication at the time that any of the witnesses knew what the others were reporting. Bartlett, Baxter, Brabham, and Traynor all drew sketches of the ghastly sight shortly after their sightings. Bartlett wrote on his sketch, I, Bill Bartlett, swear on a stack of Bibles that I saw this creature. According to the Boston Globe, the locations of the sightings plotted on a map lay in a straight line over two miles. Interestingly, all the sightings were made in the vicinity of water. So, did the Dover demon pack its bags and move to a new location, slip into another dimension, or return to its home planet? Well, maybe. You see, there have been no recent sightings of the creature since. No new sightings have been reported since 1977, though Bartlett says a weird experience a year later left him wondering if he had a return visit from the creature. The following year, he said, he was in a parked car with his girlfriend when they heard a thump on the car. He made out a small figure leaving the scene. He remains unsure who or what banged the car, though it could have been a youngster playing a prank. Farm Street on any evening back then could have been a present-day Sleepy Hollow, with woods lining the fieldstone walls and what little light there was coming from the moon. Since at least the 17th century, the vicinity of the second oldest road in Dover has been associated with strange occurrences. 
In his 1914 town history, Dover Farms, Frank Smith writes of Farm Street. In early times, this road went around by the picturesque Polka Rock, which was called for a man by that name, of whom it is remembered, that amid the superstitions of the age, he thought he saw his satanic majesty as he was riding on horseback by this secluded spot. The location has long been looked upon as one in which treasures are hid. But why anyone should go so far inland to hide treasures has never been said. When the Dover Demon was sighted in 1977, it might not have been the first time a strange creature was spotted in the woods by local teenagers. Mark Sennett of Sherborne said there was talk at Dover Sherborne High School in the early 1970s of strange things seen in the woods. In fact, Sennett said, he and his friends might have seen a demon themselves at Channing Pond on Springdale Avenue in 1972. I don't know if we really saw something, he said. We thought we did. We saw a small figure deep in the woods moving at the edge of the pond. We could see it moving in the headlights. Though five years before the Dover Demon sightings and the associated flurry of media coverage, it was still enough to make a strong and particularly creepy impression on Senate's friends that night. But there are certainly those who do not believe in the Dover Demon. For them, there is just no real basis for the creature's existence, except for overactive imaginations and the likely misidentification of common animals. Or so the critics will tell you. Skeptics usually claim the Dover Demon was simply a lost baby moose glimpsed under unusual conditions that made it seem like a bizarre humanoid. People who don't believe that explanation point out that all sightings happen during the wrong time of year for a moose that small to exist. And they also point out that Massachusetts is far from normal moose habitats. They note only two moose were reported in Massachusetts in 1977 and 1978, both of them in central Massachusetts. And a yearling moose by that time in April would weigh more than 600 pounds and be bigger than the Volkswagen Bartlett was in, cryptozoologist Coleman says. Even if such an orphan moose had been wandering around so close to populated areas, it seems as if it would have been easily captured. An orange-furred orphan calf would be a more likely candidate for such a proposal than a baby moose. Other suggested explanations include a monkey, a dog, a mutation, or simply a hoax. What about a baby horse or foal? Coleman said he canvassed local horse owners after the incident, and none reported missing horse. Moreover, it was not foaling season, he said. Another aspect that discounts any theories involving misidentified animals is that the witnesses saw the creature standing upright and walking like a human. Another theory is that it may have been a UFO evacuee, an alien stranded in a strange land, abandoned, and trying to find its way home. Another possibility is it could be a creature right out of Native American folktales. The Manigishi are a race of trickster people in Cree folklore. They're described as semi-humanoids with very thin and lanky arms and legs, and big heads minus a nose. Studying Dover's history, Coleman was struck by the fact that the area in which the demon was sighted had a tradition of unexplained activity. In the same area, you had three major legends going on, he said, citing the apparition of the devil on horseback, the tales of buried treasure, 
and then the Dover Demon. I think it certainly says something. It's almost as if there are certain areas that collect sightings, almost in a magnetic way. Coleman, who began an investigation within days of the sightings in 1977, believes Bartlett. We have a credible case, over 25 hours by individuals who saw something, he said. He interviewed all three teens within a week of the reported sightings, and he was convinced they had not concocted a hoax. Nothing quite like the demon has been reported seen before or since, he noted. The Dover creature does not match the descriptions of the Chupacabra, for instance, or of Roswell aliens, or of the bat-eared goblins said to have attacked a family in Hopkinsville, Kentucky in 1955. It doesn't really fit any place, Coleman said. It's extremely unique. It has no real connections to any other inexplicable phenomena. Twenty-nine years later, in an interview in the Boston Globe, William Bartlett stood by his story of what he saw on Farm Street that night. I have no idea what it was, he said. I definitely know I saw something. The Dover demon that Bartlett and three other teenagers reported seeing over a two-day span in April 1977 has since gained worldwide attention. It is an often discussed cryptid in popular culture. Internet pages are devoted to the Dover demon. You can play a video game featuring the creature or even buy a figurine of it as far away as Japan. In a lot of ways, it's kind of embarrassing to me, said Bartlett. I definitely saw something. It was definitely weird, and I didn't make it up. Sometimes I wish I had. He has since made a career as a painter, his work displayed in galleries on both coasts. But a Google search on Bill Bartlett, he noted, invariably turns up his teenage encounter with the unknown. It's a thing that's been following me for years, Bartlett said. Not the creature, the story. Sometimes I dread every Halloween getting calls about it. So what did those teens see? It's okay to say we don't know, says Coleman. I think the Dover demon's mystery lives on. In Dover, a quiet community dotted with horse farms, people are still not quite sure what to make of the story. That thing has haunted me for 29 years, said Carl Sheridan, a former police chief. I knew the kids involved. They were good kids, pretty reliable kids. God only knows what they saw, Sheridan said. I still don't know. Strange things have happened. The whole thing was unusual. Over four decades after seeing something very strange on Farm Street, Bartlett has mixed feelings about the experience. It was my 15 minutes of fame, no doubt, but without wanting it, he said. I really do wish that I had made it up. I, I might have profited from it. It's a great story. I wish it was seen again so everyone would know it was true but it never has been seen again. Of course, there's nothing to say it isn't still out there somewhere, waiting to surprise the unsuspecting traveler on a lonely country road late at night. Well, in our next episode, we begin a two-part look into the iconic Roswell, New Mexico UFO crash. Over two episodes, we'll give you the full story behind what is known far and wide as the Roswell Incident. In this first part, we'll give you the blow-by-blow -blow of the official record on what happened in July of 1947. What was reported? What did the media say? What did the Army Air Corps say about what happened? We'll also begin discussing the alleged cover-up and conspiracy to withhold information 
about a supposed actual UFO crash and the alien bodies that were allegedly recovered from that crash site. So join us to find out the real story on the Roswell incident next time on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. And now it's time for the episode quiz. Yep, that's right, quiz time. Here's your quiz for this week. Alleged gargoyle sightings have occurred in the desert in what U.S. state? Is it A, Arizona, B, Nevada, C, New Mexico, or D, California? Once again, alleged gargoyle sightings have occurred in the desert in what U.S. state? Is it Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, or California? And the answer is... A. Arizona. The Sonoran Desert is an extreme place. It covers large parts of the southwestern United States, including Arizona, and northwestern Mexico. It's a severe and shadowy land filled with beauty and with danger. Temperatures are extreme. There are violent monsoons that bring flash floods and sandstorms that can blot out the sun. Large spiders, scorpions, rattlesnakes, centipedes, and Gila monsters call the desert home. It is all part of the desolate territory. But is there something else there living out of sight in the barren Arizona desert landscape? Saturday, June the 5th, 1982, 10 p.m., just outside of Yuma, Arizona, Rick Oppenheim and Tommy Bochamp are on a road trip from Chicago to California, and it's the second night of their trip. Within sight of the lights of Yuma, Arizona, they had pulled over and stopped out on Interstate 8 to check their location and bearings. As Tommy stretched his legs in the warm desert night, he looked out at some rock formations and saw something odd. Sitting near the top of a rock formation was a clear outline of a gargoyle in the moonlight. Tommy thought it looked just like a gargoyle seen on a church or old building, and he thought it was amazing someone would come out to the desert and carve a gargoyle into the rock. He thought it was truly beautiful. Then it spread its wings and flew up into the air. He ran screaming back to the car and told Rick, who did not believe him, until he looked up and saw it circling directly over the top of them. They jumped into the car and took off. Giant bat wings swooped just over the windshield. They tried to convince themselves it was a giant bat. Then something sideswiped the car and sent it into a skid into the desert sand, still in gear. The car stalled and came to a stop. After what seemed like an eternity, Rick and Tommy got the vehicle back on the road. Rick handed Tommy a flashlight and told him to shine it at the creature if it reappeared. Just as the car started to roll forward, a giant shadow dropped down next to the passenger door. Reflexively, Tommy shined the light at it and the light fell upon. A yellow-eyed, leather-faced, red, devil-horned gargoyle. They kept driving right past Yuma and made it to L.A. They're convinced something lives out in that desert. And that something is a living, breathing gargoyle. In his book, Citing Sonoran Gargoyle, author J.F. Roto-Rome says, Tales of strange winged creatures in this part of the country go back to Native American legend. They tell of a creature ruling over the land that is something ancient and powerful, a secretive thing that lives among the cacti, beneath the brutal rocks, and flies above the sweeping dunes. It's known as the Sonoran Gargoyle. Sunday, July 17, 2000. 
at approximately 7.30 p.m. near Gila Bend, Arizona. Paul Kirk and Donnie McCartney witnessed something terrifying. On a clear night, the two men stood there watching the red sunset burn the sky up behind the profile of cacti in 95-degree heat. Then one of the cacti on the distant horizon opened giant bat wings and flew off. For more on living gargoyle creatures, check out Season 1, Episode 6 of the podcast. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by.